I'm Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. And I'm Michael Swain of Fog.net. This is a replay of WIBW show, The Drive. Here's this week's episode on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Good evening, Wildcat Jack fans, and welcome back to The Drive, sponsored by Briggs Auto Group. I'm Tim Fitzgerald of GoPowerCat.com, and the man across the studio for me is everyone swipe right. Michael Swain of Fog.net. Is that good or is that bad? Fits? I think I it's I good. Know. I don't know. Oh, that's good. That's good. Thank that's you. Good. I appreciate that. Easy swipe. I don't know. I'm too old. You can interact with us on social media at facebook.com slash the drive show on Twitter at the drive 13. And of course, answer our weekly poll question and make your game predictions on our Twitter page. And remember, if you ever miss an episode of the drive, don't fret. I haven't said that in a while. You can listen to an audio only version. That will appear each Monday morning in the form of a podcast at both GoPowerCat.com and Fog.net. And we start things off with our two-minute drill. The first segment of the two-minute drill is sponsored by Vanderbilt, your work boot center. All right, Fitz, K-State bounced back from its first loss of the season with an impressive 44-231 win over UCF in Manhattan. So what did the Wildcats do well in their victory? They, they gave the ball to DJ Giddens a lot. 30 carries, 207 yards, targeted for a pass 10 times in the game. So 40 of K-State's 82 plays in the game looked at number 31. He had eight catches, so he led the team in both receiving and rushing. And he was special. The sophomore from Junction City put on a show. UCF's defense, their weakness t- tends to be not tackling and wrapping up, and he ran through a lot of tackles. Will Howard came back from injury and played extremely well. The offensive line looked good, but I think maybe the best thing they did in this game was they played defense with their offense. The offense possessed the ball for almost 35 minutes in this game. That's a big chunk of of the time and that cut down on UCF's opportunities to run a lot of plays. They like to go really fast, run a ton of plays, but I think they were held to 58 or something in the game. They just didn't have as many offensive opportunities as K-State and K-State really cashed in all their opportunities, including a a fumble that led to more points. K-State looked better, Michael, than they have uh, in the first three games maybe. Uh, That offensive line getting Christian Duffy back, he was only part-time uh, is solidified. They had some problems at times in the middle of their defense with Daniel Green lost for the season uh, with a torn pec muscle. Uh, but they, they just got after it. They kept persisting. And even though UCF took a lead in the uh, early third quarter, K-State came back and rattled off, I think, 23 straight points. It had been 24 if they could hit the extra point. But they looked really good in that third quarter and early fourth. And, and then they just kind of had to milked down the clock as UCF ended up scoring with like two seconds, three seconds left in the game to make it look a little deceptive on how close it really was. But this was a nice effort by K-State. We'll get to this later. I think UCF is going to be okay. This was just their first opportunity in the Big 12, and they did not get it done. No, Fitz, I think if you look at K-State as a Big 12 title contender, what do they have to do against middle-of-the-road Big 12 teams? Control the clock, control the pace, control the flow. And I think that was really impressive that they did that against UCF, which has a totally different style than I think K-State wants to have. Yeah, it was an interesting contrast, but uh, that's a good UCF team. They're going to beat a lot of people because uh, this league isn't very good, but we'll get, we'll get to that later in the show. 
It was a close contest for much of the afternoon at David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium, but KU used multiple defensive scores to defeat BYU 38-27. Michael, what impressed you most in KU's win? I think just that. In a game that KU won by 11 points, the defense accounted for 14. And I think that was a huge difference. And look, I think Kobe Bryant deserves a ton of credit. I think he really embodies the growth that this defense has had where you think back two years ago, right? KU's about to go to Austin and he was not physical, you know, not imposing. And on kind of BYU's second offensive play in the Big 12, he goes and forces a fumble, scoops it, scores it. That's not a play he would have made two years ago or even last year. And I think that physicality that Brian embodies that is just really what you're seeing from this KU defense now, where in a game that BYU knew it couldn't run against Kansas, right? From the get-go, BYU was trying to attack. KU's cornerbacks on the outside. Well, KU held BYU to nine rushing yards, right? That's the fewest an opponent has had against Kansas since 2009. That's a pretty good gap in time there. And I think that for me was super impressive. And now you look at KU's defense, they're stopping the run pretty well, a little bit under 3.3 yards per carry allowed on the season, but they're creating a ton of havoc. About one in every four plays for KU on the defensive side of the ball is resulting in a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, or a forced fumble. This team is really getting after on defense and got super impressive when you compare it to the offense, which did not hit full stride against BYU. And you look in the second half still, and KU's able to wear down BYU. Lance Heupel didn't agree with maybe my assessment there post game, but you look at KU. They rushed for about 4.1 yards per carry in the first half. They rushed for about seven yards per carry in the second half, and it was mostly eight for most of the second half. That shows an offense that really embodied physicality, wore down BYU as the game went on, and Jalen Daniels made enough plays for KU to get the win, and I think that's what matters here. KU getting a win against a good BYU team that's going to also compete for some games. It's not doesn't matter how you get there, Fitz, right? It's all about getting the wins, and KU took another step closer to being bowl eligible in their 4-0 in back-to-back seasons for the first time in 108 years. Man, I was just a kid when that happened last time. That's that's a that's impressive. No, they they looked really good. And BYU is a good football team. They're well coached. Um, yeah. They know who they are, uh, and to go ahead and take care of business like that was a very positive sign for Kansas. Yeah, well, Fitz, we got to talk about the Big Twelve and the newcomers. So going back to last week, right when Houston played TCU, all four newcomers are own four in their first Big Twelve games. So Fitz, the start of conference play has it changed your expectations for those four newcomers? No, not really. You know, I think I think the Kansas schools played the two best, no doubt about it. Houston's not very good, and Cincinnati appears to not be great. Um, I, look, I, I almost feel bad for Cincinnati fans. They were on an epic run you know, with Luke Fickle as coach, and they get into the Big 12. They finally get their big break. He leaves for Wisconsin, and they hire a guy that, honestly, Scott Satterfield, I don't understand why he was hired. Uh, so I, I think Cincinnati might be in for a, a downward turn at the wrong time just as they get into a 16-school uh, Big 16, Big 12 next season. Houston, I think Houston's going to get good. They've got such a good re- recruiting pace there in, in Texas. I, I think they're going to keep more kids, and I'm not worried about UCF or BYU. Those are two programs that will cycle up. Um, look, I just saw UCF play with a much faster team than Kansas State, it appeared. And, and that's the kind of Florida athletes are able to tap into. And I think, 
I think this, these schools are going to be fine, but it's going to be so strange to have another four new schools come in next year. So the whole system of measurement we're trying to use will change again, Michael. But um, I don't know about you. I, I, I kind of wish they were better, but also uh, when I heard UCF fans say, we're going to come in there and run that conference, like <laughs> Utah fans are saying, it's kind of funny to see them losing the game right out of the bat of the yeah. gate. Yeah, and I think these new schools, right, you expect there to be a bit of a transition period, right? They have to recruit at a different level yep. compared to what they did in the past, and that's going to take time. I think BYU physically should be able to play well against maybe an Oklahoma State and Iowa State who might struggle there this season. And I look at UCF, right, long term, they've got that recruiting base where they're going to be able to have some of the best athletes in the conference regardless of who is in it. And so I think it's going it's to take time, but I agree. It's, I'm really worried about Houston. Um, and I'm really worried about Cincinnati because that offense for Cincinnati did not look very good. Yeah, it was kind of pitiful. And Oklahoma, uh, they just weren't overwhelmingly impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if they, they've got such an easy schedule to play Iowa State this week. And it's just, it's crazy. I, I don't know. I'm, it's bizarre. Now let's take a quick look at your poll question results. The poll questions are brought to you by Midland Exteriors. Love the home you live in. Call today for a free estimate. Speaking of Oklahoma fits, last week's question was, mm. who will win the Big 12 in football this season? Texas got 45% of the vote. Uh, I don't know why we include Oklahoma. 3% of the vote for the Sooners. K-State got 31%, and then Kansas or anybody else got 21%. Well, here's this week's question. Which Big 12 newcomer will finish with the best record? There are your answers. A, BYU, B, UCF, C, Houston, D, Cincinnati. Make sure you vote on our Twitter page at The Drive 13. All right, that will do it for this half of the two-minute drill, but we'll be right back with more on KU and K-State on The Drive. Welcome back to The Drive, fueled by BriggsAuto.com. We are back and we continue our weekly two-minute drill. This segment of the two-minute drill is sponsored by Copeland Insurance Agency, part of your community for more than 60 years. All right, Fitz, as K-State heads into its off week, what is the Wildcats' outlook for their final eight games? This entire portion of our show tonight will be called, Why Does the Big 12 Stink? And how bad does it stink? Because K-State goes into this off week, and then they go to Oklahoma State on a Friday night. Stinky. Then they go to Texas Tech the following week. Maybe stinky. Um, then they come home and they play TCU. Unknown. Might be stinky. And then, of course, uh, they have Houston coming in. Stinky. And they also have Iowa State later in the season. And in all seriousness, the two toughest games remaining on K-State's schedule as we sit here tonight appears to be Texas, of course, and Kansas. They have a real opportunity here, even if they lose at Texas, to have an incredible season. But I don't know how great K-State as actually is. And Chris Kleiman admitted after the game they got a lot of stuff they've got to work on. They can be better in some areas. They still got to shore up that offensive line and get them back in cycle, but this off week allows them to have basically two weeks of practice with Christian Duffy back and getting into game shape. And then you you know turn around and uh, you look at some of the things the receivers are doing right now. Almost every Will Howard interception has been basically a receiver doing something wrong. And that was true on Saturday. 
defensively, they're just giving up too many big plays, too many explosive, explosive plays. Uh, and it looks like just overall speed is giving them some issues. They had those problems with Luther Burden from Missouri, and also UCF with their speed gave them some issues. So they're going to have to do better on the back end. But there is potential here for a really good team, a team maybe even better than last year's team. But one of the things that, um, as a person who's covered Kansas State for a long time, actually offended me was how unimpressive K-State was in special teams in this game. They just haven't been as crisp in special teams, and I know there's a lot of people moving around. The loss of Daniel Green I mean they had to move some young players into the starting lineup and, and into the depth chart and took them off special teams. They just haven't had the continuity, but they're missing field goals and extra points, and they're giving up uh, runs on kickoffs. Michael, that, none of that is K-State-ish. Mm -hmm. If they clean all that up, this is a really good team. Yeah, I think that's for me the thing that really concerns me most about <clears throat> K-State, right? It, they're going to play so many consecutive weeks of football that there's a chance it could wear down towards the end. And I think for me, I look at you know Kansas last season and the fact that they really wore down right before their bye week because it was a late bye week. I, it's a little concerning for me, but I think you're right. You look at the competition, K-State should be able to handle business. Yep, they should. We will see how it plays out. Well, the early Las Vegas line is out for K-Strip to take on Texas. The Jayhawks are 18-point underdogs. How big of a statement can KU make this week? They can make a pretty big one. I think you got to look at this TV slot for Kansas as a really big opportunity. The other games that are big going on at the same time are Auburn versus Georgia. That could be a blowout. And Michigan versus Nebraska. That could also be a blowout. So I think there is a very strong likelihood that a lot of college football fans are going to turn to ABC to watch Texas and Kansas play. And it's a huge opportunity for Kansas to show how much They've improved. They're not going to be overlooked like they were in 2021 when they upset Texas and Texas slept to walk through the first half. And Texas came into Lawrence last year and blew out Kansas. Granted, it was Jalen Daniels' first game back. They had some injuries they were dealing with. This is the chance for Kansas to really show how much they've improved. We've seen signs of it in terms of the physicality levels that KU has played with, the level that Jalen Daniels has played with when he's at his best this season. And now it's about putting it all together. I think special teams, too, here for KU is going to be so huge because against Texas, you have to be disciplined. You can't make mistakes. And for a long time last season, special teams were the downfall for KU. But Fitz, KU has the number one special teams unit in the country right now. Some might call that the Sean Snyder effect. Yep. And I look at this game, special teams needs to be locked in. The offense cannot have the penalties that are pushing drives back, forcing KU to punt. And the defense has to continue to cause havoc. They can't let the big plays happen like they did against BYU. Because if you let that happen, Xavier Worthy's going to run free. Quinn Ewers is going to find him. It's going to be six points. And so I look at this game. KU can really show how far it's come. And against a team that's not going to overlook it. And a team that is going to be more talented than it. But I think this is going to be a really huge chance for Kansas and Lance Leifold to show how far they've come as a program. So 18 points. That's a lot. I'm sure we'll get to our picks in the next segment. Uh, I think I'm still mulling this one for myself, but it's a big spread, but an equally big opportunity for KU to show how much they've grown since Lance Leipold showed up in 2021. So I, I kind of see Kansas as having a minimum point total of 24. I think they'll go 24 or more. And that means Texas has got to get into the 40s to cover that 18 and a half. I mean, even... 42-24 doesn't get the job done for him. That's a big number. I was really surprised by it. Yeah, I was too. I was too, Fitz. Yep. Okay, now we step out of bounds, and Out of Bounds is brought to you by Dara's Corner Market. We love local, and we are local for you.
All right, Fitz, back to the Big 12 segment. Uh, a lot of the Big 12 teams seem to be suffering yeah. through some maybe unexpected troubles this season. I'll put it to you flatly. Is the Big 12 bad? Yeah. Yep. Next segment. Uh, so let's do this again. Um, <clears throat> newcomer uh, Cincinnati, uh, bad? Yes. Bad. One, bad. Houston, newcomer, bad? bad. Yes. Right. Okay. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, bad, bad? Yeah, bad. Okay. Um, West Virginia, I'm a little confused. They beat Tech. Does that mean Tech's bad or West Virginia? I think they're both bad. Mm, I don't so, disagree. Okay. TCU, don't know yet. BYU, maybe they're okay. Baylor, uh, bad. Okay, so the bad teams we just listed is half the conference. I spent an entire two years bragging about how competitive the Big 12 is, how it's the most entertaining league in all the college football. And now, now people, it's falling apart. I feel responsible, it's all my fault. Um, and we don't know if UCF and BYU are, they're, they're in my upper half. Both yeah. teams just lost, and they're in my upper half of this conference. I think this is what happens when there's a lot of transition going yeah. on, right? I think Oklahoma State is trying to figure it out in the NIL age. Doesn't sound like that's something that they're really into. Iowa State is trying to move on from the Brock Purdy, Brees Hall days. West Virginia, are they going to have the same head coach two years from now? Who knows? I think these are a lot of Big 12 teams that are really kind of in transition phases where I think we look in maybe a year or two and we're kind of back to what you're talking about, Fitz, where it's competitive top to bottom every week with good football, yep. not competitive with bad football. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now let's hear from the fans. And our fan question is sponsored by Metalark. Retirement awaits in Manhattan where you can live your way every day. Our fan question this week is, I could only watch the games on TV, but was the atmosphere as good as it seemed? That's Roy and Topeka. And I think he's referencing both Lawrence and Manhattan seem to be rocking. How was, how was the crowd in KU? It was good. It was good. It was loud. Um, I think students, it was parents weekend. So I think some students left at halftime came for a half and left that's got to be improved but I think when the crowd was really locked in and into it great great atmosphere yeah it was it really got loud at the end and, and I was impressed with how the students stuck it out to the very mm -hmm. end most of that section was full um, and that's been a problem I mean students just kind of get yep. up and go maybe drink in the parking lot and don't come back in or whatever they want to do but that uh, crowd at K-State was really engaged it was fun Nice. Well, remember to ask us your questions on our Facebook page and on Twitter at The Drive 13. When we return, we'll look at our predictions here on The Drive. Welcome back to The Drive, fueled by BriggsAuto.com. Well, it is time to head down the home stretch of this week's show, and here's a look at your predictions. The predictions are brought to you by Kites, meeting your friends at Kites since 1954. Remember to make your weekly predictions on our Twitter page at the Drive 13. Here are last week's results. I, for one moment in my life, was brilliant. The fans <laughs> went one and two. Michael went two and one. Uh, I will probably blow most of that lead soon. That's what I do. I, I'm, I'm, this was a rarity. Okay, now here are this week's picks. We're going to start with Kansas at Texas. KU is an 18.5-point underdog. Does Texas win by 19 or more points? I I'd say take, no. I take KU. I, you're going to say no? Oh, no, I'm going to say yes. I just If you're going to say no, I'm going to say yes. That's the kind of co-host I am. Look, I don't, like, I don't like this line, and maybe that means it's, it's a good number. I just think Texas has got a lot of weapons and mm – -hmm. 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel good about this. Pick. I'm not a big math guy, Fitz, and you did the math for me earlier, so I'm going to take KU in the points. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't blame you. Next up, let's get to Cincinnati at BYU. I really want to go to Provo one of these days, but it's a strong home field advantage. BYU is a six and a half point favorite. Give me BYU to cover that spot. I agree. I don't understand why they're only a six and a half point favorite. I, I think they're going to win by double digits, but that's just me. Our last game of the week is Baylor at UCF, and I'm even more baffled by UCF only being a two and a half point favorite. That's not even a, a home field bounce. I, what? UCF all day. I'll take Baylor. Oh. Don't feel good about it, but maybe it's a get-right game for Baylor. Who knows? Well, again, make your picks on our Twitter page at the Drive 13. We can't have any more ties, people. Only an odd number of people can vote. (laughs) That's that's the new rule. It's time for our On the Clock segment. On the Clock is sponsored by Carpet One. Buy local for a strong local community. And we start with Michael Swain of Fog.net. Well, Fitz, if you folks stayed up Sunday night to watch us, Monday is the official start of the college basketball season for KU. I'm sure we'll get some basketball in the weeks to come and a lot of football, but I want to talk about Kevin McCullough. Boot camp was last week. KU only did one week this year because of how busy August was for the program, but the early word is this is going to be Kevin McCullough's team. Hunter Dickinson might be my most high-profile player. Dewan Harris is the most long-standing KU player, but by all accounts, Kevin McCullough is the guy that's going to be the driving force behind this team and we've seen other guys do it you know test the NBA waters and come back you saw someone like Jalen Wilson do it Ochai Abaji Kevin McCullers next up and I think he's gonna be the guy that is the driving force behind this team the leader behind the scenes as well and I think it's a really good sign because I think he's a guy a lot of people respect for his work ethic and I think you're gonna see a lot of on-court improvement from him as well. Well, Kansas State football for many years under Bill Snyder and now Chris Kleiman has been a developmental program, meaning they go find the kids that maybe quite aren't there physically as they head into their you know freshman seasons, but they catch up. And let's just stop and pause and talk about the guys who were starring in that game on Saturday against UCF. On the offensive side of the ball, you had D.J. Giddens, a running back out of Junction City, Kansas. And he looked simply fantastic. He doesn't have that great breakaway speed. He doesn't have the, the sexy moves that a Deuce Vaughn does. But he ran for more than 200 yards. On defense, with Daniel Green out at linebacker, Des Purnell stepped up. Desmond Purnell had a great game, led the team in tackles. He's from Topeka. So it's amazing to me that you look around the nation and all these recruiting places where you can get all this talent. Kansas isn't known for that, but here are guys, and they're all over the roster at both schools, helping their schools play at the highest levels of college football, and they're from Kansas, and that's pretty cool. And that's it for this week's edition of The Drive. We will see you next week right here and all week on social media.